What's up, Yahoo again? Utah Police and Midday Profile MC members by Dave Irish Dorman. Motorcycle profiling is an issue that knows no state bounds. From coast to coast, police and other governmental agencies are violating the constitutional rights of motorcycle club members. Typical of this trend, six members of a motorcycle club in Utah were recently stopped on three separate occasions, all within an hour, simply for associating with what one sheriff supervisor referred to as a threat group, no traffic infractions were issued. This incident is just the most recent in the undeniable pattern of evidence. Motorcycle profiling is proliferating nationally, the best hope of combating this epidemic is cost-free legislation at the state and federal level that prohibits the practice and provides a mechanism of relief for the victims. Now, just after midnight on August 18th of 2019, members of the Undefined Limits Motorcycle Club decided to go on a ride in beautiful Utah summer weather meeting at a Maverick gas station to pick a destination, MC members noticed two Utah police cars carrying four officers. Parked off in the distant, member Buster, believing that a traffic stop was inevitable, waved the other members of the group to the front. At the first stop sign, a complete stop was made, and both feet were on the ground. Regardless, Buster and a hangaround of the club were pulled over for a stop sign violation. The first stop, Buster and the hangaround were pulled over for a stop sign violation again. The two sheriffs approached the riders with their hands on their firearms and demanded identification. After providing their driver's license for his and his brother's safety, Buster informed the sheriffs that he was carrying a firearm and had a legal CCW, even though no law in Utah dictates that holders are required to do so. The two riders were told to keep their hands on the handlebars and keep their kickstands up while one officer wrote the citation, and the other kept watch on the two riders. 30 minutes into the stop, member Big Rig came back to the scene to check on the safety of his brothers. The sheriff demanded his identification since he, quote, was on the scene. No citation was given to Big Rig. The total time for the simple traffic stop of the two individuals took a total of 45 minutes a clear violation of his civil liberties as outlined in Rodriguez versus United States, and it was Big Rig, my fault. Second stop, after 20 minutes of waiting, several riders decided to head back in the direction of the Maverick gas station while pulling onto I-89. Member Clash noticed a Utah police car sitting in the darkness with all of the lights off. Once the group passed the parked patrol car, the officer immediately pulled out and approached the group. Quickly, the officer pulled over the rear rider clash for an alleged turn signal violation. 
Clash was given a citation for an expired driver's license and a warning for the turn signal violation. During the stop, the uh, sheriff mentioned that the department had just broken up a party being held by another motorcycle club, and the sheriffs assumed the riders were coming from said party. The real reason for the stops. Club members Tech and R2 pull into the Maverick gas station and are immediately pulled over by one sheriff for yet another alleged turn signal violation. Member Tech asked to speak with the supervisor. Tech questioned the supervisor as the real reason for the stops. Since six members were stopped in the previous 45 to 60 minutes. The supervisor responds, why do you think? Why do you think? Tech responds, because we have this on, referring to his vest. A Utah police supervisor responds, you are documented, okay? The club name are a documented threat group. That's how it is. So that's why we're doing this. That's why we're pulling people over, showing a clear bias and prejudice towards motorcycle club riders. Neither rider was issued a citation, though both were given written warnings. None of the six club members had any registration or insurance verified by the Davis County Sheriff's, nor were there any inspection stickers verified. This is one of the reasons the MPP believes this was nothing more than an intelligence gathering expedition. Legislative relief. The above events are just one more reason why legislative relief is needed in Utah and across the country. The intrusions on individual civil liberties simply for expressing their First Amendment right to freely associate needs to stop. And as the MPP has demonstrated, motorcycle profiling bills are the correct avenue to take. Next one by Tommy Witherspoon, and this one's got me going. A federal judge dismissed McClellan County as a defendant in a civil rights lawsuit filed by three bikers arrested after the 20, or 2015 Twin Peaks shootout but ruled the plaintiffs can pursue claims against the city of Waco and seven individual defendants. In a 22-page ruling Monday, U.S. District Judge Alan Albright threw out some of the claims filed by bikers Bradley Tierwiggler, Benjamin Metchik, and Jimmy Dan Smith, as well as dismissing the county and four Waco police officers from the suit. The lawsuit filed by the three bikers who were never indicted in the deadly shootout is one of about 20 pending Twin Peaks civil lawsuits involving about 130 bikers with claims of unlawful arrest and conspiracy. The plaintiffs represented by Dallas attorney Don Tittle alleged former McClellan County District Attorney Abel Reyna was the final policymaker for McClellan County regarding the events at Twin Peaks. Reyna and the county 
disputed the claim and Albright citing legal precedent in dismissing the county from the lawsuit ruled that a county sheriff, not the district attorney, is the final policymaker. Quote, in some plaintiffs alleged that Reyna wrongly determined that the plaintiffs should be arrested based on only their presence at Twin Peaks. The order states, as discussed above, the sheriff, not the district attorney, is the final policymaker regarding preserving the peace and arresting all offenders. B.S. Thus, regardless of Reyna's involvement in helping to decide whether the arrest should be made, he did not have authority to make municipal policy. The lawsuit alleges Reyna was the county's final policymaker because he, quote, was reasonably uh, reasonable for devising the overall prosecutorial uh, goals and strategies of the county on the day of the shootout that left nine bikers dead and 20 injured. Even assuming that this is accurate, Reyna still cannot be the final policymaker in this context because plaintiffs complain of wrong arrest, not of wrongful prosecution, the order states. Thus, Reyna's prosecutorial goals and strategies are irrelevant to whether he was the final policymaker in the area of ordering and making arrests, because he had no authority to dictate policy in that area. Accordingly, the county cannot be held liable for Reyna's individual actions. The judge denied the city's motion to dismiss the lawsuit. Tittle declined comment on the judge's order. Dallas attorney Tom Brandt, who represents the county and Reyna and Waco attorneys Mike Dixon and Charles Olson, who represent the city of Waco and its officers, did not return phone messages. Oh my God, you gotta love it. There is no justice. We are pleased with the dismissal of some of the claims and some of the parties and will continue to diligently litigate the remaining claims, Waco City Attorney Jennifer Ricci said. Remaining defendants now. The various rulings by Albright leave Reyna, the former district attorney, as the sole uh, former county representative remaining in the lawsuit. Well, thank God. The order leaves claims pending against Brent Stroman, former Waco Police Chief, Robert Laning, Assistant Chief, Detective Jeffrey Rogers, and Police Officers Manuel Chavez, Patrick Swanen, Austin Evans, Jason Vela, Christopher Nail, and John Olivio, and Department of Public Safety Agent Stephen Schwartz, and Christopher Forrest. Smith, the biker brought a separate false arrest claim against Evans, Vila, Nail, and Olivio, which Albright dismissed after ruling the claim was insufficient to overcome the officer's qualified immunity. Smith alleges he left Twin Peaks during the shootout to take a wounded friend to the hospital. After leaving the hospital, Smith, Terry Wingler, 
and Metchik were parked at a closed business when the four officers approached them and eventually arrested uh, Metchik and Terwingler on weapons charges. Smith was arrested for, quote, directing activities of criminal street gangs even though he did not meet any of the elements whatsoever. The suit alleges... While a complaint does not need detailed factual allegations, a plaintiff's obligation to provide the grounds of his entitlement to relief requires more than labels and conclusions, and a formulic recitation of the elements of a cause of action will not do, Albright wrote, quoting legal precedent in dismissing the officers from the suit. More than 200 bikers were jailed on identical arrest warrant allegations. Only one case went to trial, which ended in a hung jury favoring acquittal and a mistrial. District Attorney Barry Johnson, Reyna's successor, dismissed the remaining charges against the bikers. The lawsuit alleged the defendants violated the bikers' Fourth Amendment rights by obtaining arrest warrants based on a fill-in-the-name affidavit that lacked probable cause. They also alleged defendants violated their Fourth Amendment due process right to be free from unlawful arrest. Albright threw out the plaintiff's Fourteenth Amendment claims ruling the Fourth Amendment covers unlawful arrest. The order states Albright is referring to the case U.S. Magistrate Jeffrey Manzik to handle discovery issues. You know what? They went all through this and then you got one of these federal judges. By nine news staff, police are continuing to question a known bikey member over the shooting death of his ex-girlfriend on the Gold Coast. Ivana Jovaninik, 27, was found at Crisco's in Highland Park home with a gunshot wound to her chest on this past Sunday just after 8 p.m. Police believe a member of the, the Mongols Outlaw Motorcycle Gang and up to three other people were with Miss Jovanovic at the Renfrew Drive property when she was shot. When police arrived at the scene, they had all fled and neighbors reported seeing a car speed away from the location after the gunshot was heard. Miss Jovanovic was rushed to Gold Coast University Hospital but died from her injuries. Police confirm Panagakos returned to the crime scene at about 1 a.m. after hiding out in nearby bushland. He was arrested and remains in custody as ass assisting officers with their investigation. Detective Superintendent Brandon Smith said the group called an ambulance for Miss Javanovich but slammed them for leaving her to die. Quote, it's disgraceful. I'm sure if one of them had been injured in that manner, they would expect as much assistance as everyone there. Whilst 
they called the ambulance, there was a lot of first aid that could have been rendered at the time that may or may not have made a difference. We'll never know. So sad, so sad stuff right there. If you're looking for up-to-date biker news, then Insane Throttle is the place to be! Daily editorials and news that is dedicated to the biker scene. Come on over and join the number one internet biker news site at HarleyLiberty.com. Hi, this is John with Exit 27, and you're listening to Hollywood on Motorcycle Madhouse. Want to hear more of our music? Head on over to Spotify or iTunes. The number one internet biker radio show is now available on Spotify and all major platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Don't forget to become a subscriber on any one of these platforms so you can be notified right away when our weekly episode is uploaded so you never miss an episode. Let's go, go, go. We were asked by somebody with the law enforcement or alliance of law-abiding clubs, which are basically made up of fire, military, EMS, but mostly law enforcement, we received this and uh, it was asked of us to get it out. Regarding Chuck Rat Trap Gines and the Iron Guard MC, greetings everyone. Back in early July of 2019, the Alliance was approached by Chuck Gines, who told us he was starting an MC called the Iron Guard MC, and it would be based partly upon the Alliance philosophy of independence and autonomy. It didn't feel quite right, so we put it on hold until we could learn more. It says at him, but it should have said about him and his new club. Without going into the details, we determine that his approach, philosophy, and behavior make him entirely unsuitable for Alliance membership. Most disturbing is we could find no evidence of an actual club. This appears to be more of an internet YouTube thing where people can sign up and order patches. The, quote, club appears to be based in rural desert community in the southwest with few actual residences. We wish Mr. Gines well in his endeavors, but we will not admit him into the alliance as we believe he misrepresented himself in his initial contact and attempted to mislead us. As always, ride safe, had fun, and that was from Pablo of the Alliance of Lot and Biting Clubs. Next story! Herman Walters III died doing something he was passionate about, riding his motorcycle. It's an undeniable fact that accidents happen, and when they involve motorcycles, the risk of fatalities is greater than for those on four wheels. But for Julianne Bogman, the mother of the 31-year-old motorcyclist killed by a hit-and-run driver on the 28th of July, she'll always be left wondering whether or not her son might have survived had the driver did the right thing by stopping and calling for help immediately. Rocky as he was known to his friends and family, was born June 13, 88 at Sinai Grace Hospital in Detroit. Ironically, that's also the place where he died. Rocky's father, the late Herman Skip Walters, 
also rode a motorcycle and gave his son his first ride at the age of four. Rocky Walters grew up hunting and camping. The Westland resident also enjoyed working on motorcycles and cars. <clears throat> Something that would serve him well in his career. He was employed by Victory Honda in Plymouth as a service technician. According to his mother, who remarried and lives in Wanadoit, Rocky loved riding his bike and was proud of being a member of the Penetrators Motorcycle Club. Just after midnight, he was driving his Harley Davidson on the Southfield Service Drive near Southcraft in Detroit when he was struck by a vehicle traveling at a high speed of <laughs> high speed. Damn. According to authorities, the driver did not stop to check on the victim. He or she just kept on driving. What a prick. I need this person to feel something, Bogman said. If this was your family, is this how you would want them to be living? They need to turn themselves in. Bogman, who also rides a motorcycle, said her son was aware that drivers are too often distracted and don't pay attention to motorcycles on the road. Well, we have to pay double attention to see the faces of people who are driving to get a glimpse to see if they are paying attention, she said. A lady cut him off about a month ago in the left turn lane. His bike was damaged, but he wasn't injured. On the day he was killed, he had just dropped off a friend at the clubhouse. He said he was going to a store when he got hit. It was that friend who got a phone call from the hospital, delivering the sad news that Rocky had been fatally wounded in the crash. In situations such as this, every second counts, which leaves Bogman wondering if her son would have had a fighting chance had the person who struck him sent for help immediately. No, of course, he was a coward and ran. We don't know how long it took for someone to find him, she said. We just don't know. They, the hit-and-run driver, hit him and left the scene. It would be bring closure to find out who did this. Funeral service were held on August 3rd at the Heaney Sunquist Funeral Home in Farmington. Our thoughts and prayers go out to that family. That must be hard right there. Must be hard. Here's the wanted poster, guys. Get them. It only took Danielle Allegro Alberta flashing a hand sign on the 18th Street gang for rivals to begin plotting his demise. Baltimore County detectives say members of MS-13 stalked the 21-year-old home from the laundromat in July and stabbed him to death. One killer allegedly armed with a machete-style knife outside his apartment in Townsend. Investigators attributed the killing to a war between two Latino street gangs, the 18th Street and the MS-13. Quote, the victim had been seen making hand gestures that was believed to be indicative of affiliation with the 18th Street, detectives wrote in charging documents. On Tuesday, 
Police announced they had arrested and charged seven MS-13 members with murdering him. He becomes the latest victim of the feuding gangs. It's no joke on the street, man, I told you. Last week, a federal judge in Baltimore sentenced an MS-13 gang member from Montgomery County to 30 years in prison for racketeering and stabbing to death a suspected 18th Street member four years ago. According to federal prosecutors, one principal rule of MS-13 is that its members must kill rivals known as Chevalis whenever possible. Last April, a federal judge in Greenbelt sentenced another MS-13 member, a 26-year-old from Gaithensburg, to 35 years in prison for his role in the stabbing death of the 18th Street rival three years ago. The suburbs of D.C. have suffered some of the worst regional violence carried out by these gangs. The leaders recruit Latino immigrants and their children. That's the reason why we need border security. In Townsend, the alleged MS-13 killers followed Salure to the Sudsville laundromat on Lock Raven Boulevard late on the 30th. Members of the above group watched from different areas of darkness and individually walked past the victim, detectives wrote. <laughs> oh, man. He was, it was a turkey shoot, you cowards. Man. Half of the pack left to wait for him at his home. Prosecutors alleged shortly before 1 a.m. he returned home and was attacked. He died at the scene. What happened to the sanctity of the house, man? It was never done like that. Detectives traced him or his back to the laundromat and recovered surveillance footage that showed him being watched and followed. They said those stalking him traveled in a white 2008 Dodge Caliber. Nearly two weeks later, police stopped the car in Mississippi and arrested the occupants. Detectives wrote that they matched the occupants seen in the video. The seven charged with murder are Jonathan Escobar Hernandez, 20, Marlon Leonardo Fabian Flores, 20, Edwin Elgardo Garcia, Martir, 18, Hugo Portillo Chavez, 31, Jose Fasto Riviera Correz, 19, Lionel Alexander Valquez Hernandez, 16, oh my god, just a baby, is, and they're charged as adults. Defense attorney Natalie Finnegar said she has not had a chance to meet her client, Fabian Flores. Justin Michael Holloman, who is representing Garcia Martir, declined to comment. The public defender's office did not respond to a request for comment on behalf of the other defendants. Cellular's family could not also be reached for comment. Idiots, man. Idiots. Mark Scolofaro, Associated Press, and an Ohio prison inmate's writing published in biker magazines was cited by police in charging him for the shooting death of a motorist found along the Pennsylvania Turnpike in 1972, police said. And at Biker Magazine was Eater Easy Riders. Larry Joseph Villa, 75, was charged with criminal homicide and robbery in the death of Morgan Peters 
who had been shot in the back following a grand jury investigation that began two years ago. Villa is serving a life sentence in the Marion Correctional Institute for a killing that occurred shortly after Peter's body was found in September of 72. Villa did not have a lawyer listed in court records who could speak for him. No date for a court appearance was listed. Peters, 29, a married father who lived in Bayshore, New York, had been in Pennsylvania on a work trip. He was seen getting onto the turnpike to go west from Carlisle's towards La Trobe. His truck was found about 18 miles or 30 kilometers from his body and items were missing from it including a black Panasonic radio investigator said. A woman who was with Via at the time, Charmaine Phillips, told investigators in August 2017 that Via told her to pull over her sedan while they headed on the turnpike toward Cleveland. Phillips said Via got out of the vehicle, stopped behind him, according to a police affidavit. Quote, she said that Via was gone for a few minutes and that when he came back to her vehicle, he said, quote, we gotta go. When asked if she heard a gunshot, Phillips said that she did not. This according to police. Phillips told police Via drove the other vehicle behind her at some distance. At some point, they separated and she went on to Cleveland, she told police. Phillips had told police in 2015 that she and Via had a ruse they would get used to using to get people to pull over. They would pretend to be hitchhiking to get a ride, police said. She said that the ruse had been used more than once, but that she could not remember more details. After two ex-wives of Villas told police he wrote poems and short stories for Easy Rider magazine under the pseudonym Jody Villa, a trooper found the nine writings under that name in Easy Riders and Outlaw Biker magazines from the late 1980s, police said. Quote, Dangerous Dave, published in Outlaw Biker in September 85, was about a hitchhiking woman who lured a man to stop for her, and the man is then surprised by a gunman. As the driver approached on foot, a cold voice from behind a tree told the man to stop and not move a muscle. Dangerous Dave then describes the shooter approaching the man and ready to shoot, the court affidavit said. Another piece Payback in full involved a female suspect trying up and tying up a victim, sorry about that, similar to the shooting of a gas station owner, Harvey Hoffman, in Ohio, investigators said. Another piece, Moonlit Ride, contained a setting and facts similar to the murder of Jane McGuire in Summit County, Ohio, police said. Via was arrested in 72 for those two deaths and is serving life for killing McGuire. Among his belongings when he was arrested, police said, was 
that black Panasonic radio. And boy, you can tell the difference in Easy Riders magazine now, can't you? That's the way it used to be in the old days. But let's get off this doom and gloom stuff and let's get into some events. Ladies in Leather Parade and Rally, best L&L Rally in Lano, September 13th through 19th. Then we go to Boogie 2 Motorcycle Rally and Party in Cookville, Tennessee, September 25th through 29th. More party than you can handle, they claim. And finally, the 23rd Annual Desert Thunder Children's Charity Motorcycle Rally Bike Show and Classic Car Show plus SNS UTEB Poker Run. Rock on. August 4th through uh, 5th at Prim New Hollywood's Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. And welcome back. How you guys doing? There's a new addition to the Outlaws Clubhouse at 18 Lat Osuri Street. A sign on the door advertising that it's for sale by owner. No contact information accompanies the sign. And a knock at the door Monday afternoon went unanswered. It's not clear what prompted the owner of the home and or the Outlaw Motorcycle Club to decide the time was right to sell the property after decades in the house. Requests for comment had not received responses by deadline, but neighbors were quick to point to the changing composition of their street where infill developments have sprung up between small single-family homes. They feel estranged from what used to be a friendly neighborhood, said John Curie, who lives a few houses down from the clubhouse. I think it's actually unfortunate. This newspaper launched a look into Ottawa's biker clubhouses after several of the street's residences shared concern about their local outlaws. They were the first to note that considering the influx of new affluent homeowners, well, they just don't fit in, to be honest with you. But rather than celebrate the biker's possible departure from the neighborhood, Curry said he was sorry to see them go, and he wasn't the only one. Another resident, who has not to be named for professional reasons, said the outlaws have been helpful neighbors, plowing driveways in the winter and welcoming newcomers. Police often and publicly refute the common perception that outlaw bikers are unfairly framed as criminals, pointing to a long list of one percenters. Outlaws, Hells Angels, and more who've been charged with serious offenses. But many are unconvinced, including the resident with whom this newspaper spoke with. For us as neighbors, we didn't see any of that criminality that you speak of, the resident said. If they're not nice people, why haven't they been arrested? They have every right to live here like anyone else, and they've never done anything wrong to anyone on the street. The public opinion split on the subject of outlaw bikers, 
could also carry over to the real estate aspect of any clubhouse sale that may occur. According to A.J. Cassium, a sales representative at a real estate brokerage, Engel and Faulkner's, a prospective buyer might be deterred from that building upon learning about its decades-long history as a biker clubhouse. But for others, the same fact could be a selling point or even inflate the value of the property. I think it's going to depend on the buyer, but I think the demographic who's looking into Hiddenberg is someone who's electric. Maybe it actually adds a little bit of heritage and history to the home, said Kasim. As far as for what the house, if sold, would be likely to go for, he said, it'd depend on the current state of the property, the house's structural integrity, and whether the owner is looking to profit from the sale of the land for redevelopment or from a buyer who wants to maintain the original home. The latter tends to generate a higher sales price, he said, but in any case, the figure would be significant. Hindenburg is a real estate hotspot thanks to, in large part to irregular lot sizes and lenient zoning, he explained. A home on a comparable lot to the clubhouses on nearby Hinchy Avenue went for more than a half a million dollars last year, while an Enroll unit sold for close to $750,000. So the black and white house on that street scene of countless outlaws parties and a 1994 car bombing, well, Someone could actually tear down that building and build two semis, said Kasim. Neighbors always love the clubhouses because they keep that out of the, uh, yeah. It appears that Ewan McGregor and Charlie Berman could be riding Harley Davidson's new Livewire electric motorcycles on their next adventure the long way up. This shocking news is being circulated around social media and we first stumbled upon it while pursuing Lone Rider's blog trending in the ADB bike community on Twitter. The images below depict Harley Davidson's lime wires being uncrated in Buenos Aires, Argentina. The long way films are multi-episode documentaries that showcase incredibly Great travel stories by motorcycle. The Long Way Round airing in 2004 and Long Way Down in 2007. McGregor and Borman ride through multiple countries in hopes of an experiencing cultures, overcoming challenging overland elements, and promoting the work of UNICEF. The Long Way Up will take the Moto Duel from South America to Los Angeles. First unveiled as a prototype in 2014, the Harley-Davidson Livewire is a 460-pound street-based electric motorcycle powered by an oil-cooled longitude. <laughs> I just can't talk about this motor. Anyway, HD, the that was a joke, by the way. 105 horsepower, 85-pound torque, weighing in at 549 pounds. The images displayed on the blog show the bikes modified different tires, wire wheels, and luggage. We can also assume the bikes have revised suspension 
and comfort modifications as well. My question is, how are they going to go anywhere when you have to charge it all the time? The Longway team utilized large displacement ADV bikes for their travels in the past, specifically BMW, and many speculated that the latest installment of the Longway series would continue in that tradition. It wouldn't be far-fetched to conclude that the choice to use lime wires came down to a bidding war. But we can't expect Charlie and Ewan to be tight-lipped about this. We're sure that BMW, Triumph, and Moto Guzzi were all serious considerations for that project. That said, electric is the future of motorcycling, although Charlie and Ewan will have to find a way to work around the Livewire's limited 95 to 146 mile range. Surely the long way up will entertain, educate, and modify just as well as the previous documentaries. I don't see how they're going to do it. Don't do it. Fox News 26 hours long standoff at Fresno Biker Clubhouse ends with 8 arrests, 42 detained. Out of Fresno again, California, eight people were arrested on Saturday after an hours long standoff at a motorcycle gang clubhouse came to an end, according to the Fresno County Sheriff's Office. It all started at around 6 p.m. on Saturday when anti-gang enforcement deputies were investigating weapon offenses and possible gang members at the Savage Assassins Motorcycle Clubhouse near Belmont and First. Deputies say they spotted a man standing outside of the clubhouse with a gun on him. The man ran back into the clubhouse and deputies followed him in but left after a verbal confrontation took place inside. Since the men had a gun, SWAT was called out to the scene, leading to an hours-long standoff. Yeah, it's communist uh, California, man. You can't have a gun. After receiving a search warrant, deputies started ordering people out of the clubhouse one by one. One man came out with a gun and was arrested by police without incident. Eight people were arrested and 42 others were detained while deputies began to search the clubhouse. One woman with a heart condition was taken from the scene to Community Regional Medical Center. Police say she was not injured during the standoff. The man who was seen outside of the clubhouse with a gun was arrested for being a felon with a firearm. Once everyone was out, officers began to search the clubhouse. The search continued until around 3 o'clock on Sunday morning. Man, it is getting bad with the guns out there. Let me tell you, they're coming for them. They're coming for them. They're not even hiding it now on the left. Not even hiding it, man. Go support your NRA. Let's go into some events right now. Tennessee Motorcycle and Music Revival. October 10th through 13th, 2019. And then a big one coming up, the Hog Ride. September 28th through the, tw let's see, yeah, just the 28th. Starting at Singing River Island, check-in at 7.30 a.m. Our shout-out to all the Christian motorcycle clubs and Christian organizations 
Keep it up. Keep spreading the word about the old man upstairs. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Need your daily dose of biker news? Then what are you waiting for? Visit HarleyLiberty.com and keep up to date with all the happenings in the biker scene. And wait! There's more. Insane Throttle Biker News is now on Instagram. Come on over and give us a follow and get special video content not seen elsewhere on the net. Just type in Insane Throttle Biker News in the search bar. In your face all over the place we're online 24 7 24 7 well that's it for this week's episode of motorcycle madhouse don't forget to go over to new insane throttle's new youtube channel and also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at harleyliberty.com if you haven't done so already go like the new motorcycle madhouse facebook page and until next week i'm james hollywood machikari and remember keep that throttle cracked wide open